Welcome to episode 23 of Murder Most Irish, where there's absolute killings. This week's episode is dedicated to Emma's Tap. <laughs> Mr. Heems lives. Mr. Heems! Mr. Heems had to get all his teeth taken out, the poor bastard. But he's okay, he's fine. Mr. Heems had how many teeth removed? Uh, By the way, we call him Hades as well. Hades he's got two is, names. His name is Mr. Heems, Hades, Mr. Heems. Uh, he had like basically, I think, six on this side and three on this side. Oh, and there's Mr. another Heems. one that has to come out. But because he, he was under the anesthetic and his blood pressure dropped, they were like, no, it's too dangerous. So I have to bring him back to get the last one out. But he's okay. He looks really uncomfortable. He looks like he just looks like his. He looks like he's got a bee sting on his face or something. He looks really sad. Yeah. And he usually does. He, do you know what? He usually just looks like don't fucking touch me. Yeah, but now he's but like now he's oh, like touch me and I'm oh, sad. Oh, I'm maudlin. And he's just sleep like he's just sleeping because if this, this was any other week and we were in here, he'd be up now trying to get out. Yeah, because the door's Would closed. He? Yeah, because the door's closed. If a door is closed, Hades is like, why is that door closed? I don't understand. He's obsessed with Colin's bedroom. Like obsessed with it. Oh, because the door's closed. Door's closed. So, and um, Colin's bathroom as well. So if that, usually he'd be up and he'd just stand there and look at the door. Um, I'd open the door and he'll go out, but he'll come back in and sit down. But once the door's open, he's happy. Cats, man. Cats indeed. But Mr. Heems lives. Mr. Heems. He didn't die. It's all good. Actually, does uh, Colin still have the voice note of Linny? Oh, let me see. I see. I just still have it on my phone. Does it stay? Yeah, yeah. It does. Colin Lily has a message for you. Go, Lily. Hey, Lily. Yeah. <laughs> She's so cute. She was on about podcast today. What was she saying? She still hates me to come over here. No, she was like, I want to be on the podcast again. She should come over next week. She was like, all your fans. This is where actually the words she said. <laughs> all your fans love me. Tell and I was like, bring her over next week and we'll, uh, we'll have her do the introduction next week. I need to give you some... Uh, I don't know issues, so you're not so confident. <laughs> Humbling skills, yeah. Um, but yeah, my dad was up today as well, and he was um, listening to himself on the podcast. Was he happy? He said he sounds like uh, he sounds very dub. But he is. He sounds. Like- I. He said I sound as common as muck. I was like, you are as common as muck. But that's his accent, and that's exactly how you <laughs> sound. And I sound as common as muck. As no, muck. You don't. And oh, it is. Sometimes when I listen back on the podcast and I do get into the flow of you talking. Only, I think you only sound like a real, real dub either when you're with your family or when you're mad about something. Yes. Or sometimes when you talk to Lily, you'll say something to her and I'm like, oh, Jesus, that's a dub. That's a dub right there. <laughs> um, But I think, my, you know why I always like my mother for doing that thing and taking on other people's accents in mm-hmm. a really insulting way? Yeah. I do that. To who though? Graham said to me. You're not doing it in like no, I don't like yeah, my yeah, yeah. mother does it where she'll meet a Jamaican person yeah, who's lived in Ireland would. all of like a, a first generation Jamaican <laughs> like Irish and she'd be like How's it going, man? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. and talk to them as if they don't speak English. Yeah. Um Ma I do it where I pick up like I think I'm just like it must be like a psychological thing. It's some people are like that. Some people are like vacuum up other people's behaviours. Um, so when I came back from the north oh yeah definitely you had that little lilt at the end of your sentences yeah and then Graham said to me today that I must have been talking to Taryn all day and I was like why and he was like because you have like a, a little Nordy accent it's like, you sound like you're from like oh, Fermanagh is Taryn from Northern Ireland yeah did they shave your paw Hades yeah that's where he had his oh trip. they shaved his back as well oh I didn't see the paw one 
Or that's where they took blood. I think the the, the shave it here is to check his heart. <laughs> oh, he's like, don't touch me. He wants to, because the door is closed now. Hades, you can fuck right off. We're in the middle of doing something. Hades, go to sleep. Go to sleep, don't know. Other than um, Hades nearly dying. You were very cool and calm. I was. I was making jokes about it because I figured if I make a joke and it happens, it's easier to deal with. Oh, he wants someone's in that bowl. Nothing, it's empty. Um, I didn't know how to deal with it. I know. Colin was the same. He was like, stop. It's like whenever I say stuff about my dad and Colin's like, I must stop, please. And I find that funny. <laughs> I had more compassion for the cat than your dad. <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't know how to deal with it with you. Um, because you were making jokes and then because like the vet was uh, I was like if this vet still ring this cat's dead when they rang I was like and I was like I have to bring her over together and then two of us are going to be a mess because the minute I had went in there with you I know said, yeah that would have been it because they wouldn't have come down without you right? I know yeah yeah yeah, yeah so yeah. we both would have had to go in and then I would have just fucking like, cried my eyes out and I was already having a bad morning you were. but it's okay okay now right yeah I'm fine now good I'm glad being a woman do you know what it's a load of shy. it is the worst it's a load of shy. and this pandemic is kicking, I think, everybody's ass. But I don't know what it is about this week. I think just, like, it's the last week in January. I think everybody is, because... I think also they announced this week that it's just, like, it's not going to end pretty much for a whole year. Oh, oh, yeah, because even, like, I know Colin was feeling it today. And I was kind of feeling it. Not really, but I was kind of like, oh, stuff. And then I know you weren't feeling the best and stuff. Um, I think everybody's just at the end of their tether at this yeah. point. That's My mum had an man. emotional breakdown this week. Yeah, I, I had an emotional breakdown this week. Everybody's on the verge, man. Yeah, no, it's tough. It's hard. It's like, just like... Because I think as much as I didn't think 2021 was going to be any different, I was like, we're still going to be in it. There was a little bit of hope where I was like, well, maybe it won't be. I think for me, the end of 2020, <sighs> we were like, right, we've got a vaccine. Yeah. Right. There's uh, the hope. Trump is gone. Yeah. Right? Yes. Okay. Now... What's next? And then it was like, oh, we've got a vaccine, but like, we don't really. And our, like, I'm not going to get into politics, but like, <laughs> our Minister for Health. Yeah, I know. Sarah hates him. <laughs> he looks like it. Do you know what he looks like? Do you remember the smooth and juicy ad? No, smooth. Yes. Juicy. Yes, I do remember that ad. He looks yeah, like yeah. the orange he from does. the smooth and juicy he ad. Does. You're absolutely correct. Fucking ginger prick. <laughs> um, Anyhow, oh, I genuinely like. I despise him. Yeah. He is just—he's every manager I've ever met that's elder depth and yeah. does not know what they're doing. Yeah. And rather than admitting that they don't know something, just lies. Yeah. Um. And it's not making it any easier the fact that he's in—he's he's because he's meant for health in the current situation. It's constantly on fucking telly. Um. It's hard. It's all very hard. I hope everybody's okay. We're all just oh, fuck's sake. I just want to like that there are countries that are like like Brazil oh it's so bad it's so bad like when you start reading about other countries I saw videos today of of uh, California with all the restaurants open and I was like every eight seconds someone's dying from COVID in California what are you doing yeah and all the fucking restaurants are open and the poor people that are working in the restaurants have to walk around and potentially expose themselves to this fucking virus and die because you want to go out and eat some fucking pasta yeah Eat it in your gaff. Like, it's all nuts. You can't have that. This is why you have no teeth. It's not why he has no teeth no, from drinking Colin, tea. Colin keeps saying it to me. Oh, okay. He says, he's drinking mugs of tea. <laughs> he doesn't drink mugs of tea. No, he doesn't drink the ends. But I was like, you can't have it anymore. But he's obsessed with it. 
he's obsessed with the LT, but yeah, it's it's hard for everybody. I just hope everybody's okay. Yeah, I think like I just want everybody to stay safe. Yeah, and I know I'm being really negative at the beginning of the podcast. No, I just think it's uh, there is that thing. What do they call it? Toxic positivity, which does not help anybody. Where you're like, just be positive, just be happy. Oh my god, it's gonna get better. That's not helping anybody because we're not. There's no effect. Like no. we're not seeing any positive effects. Every and I'm day, not doom scrolling. I'm not doing. Oh, no, I'm not doom scrolling either. I stopped at the start. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I was fucking doom scrolling like a motherfucker. But now I'm just like, and I just think the way politicians are speaking to people, speaking especially speaking to the Irish people, is really, really negative. And I would just say toxic positivity. But they're people are really hard. The people that are doing what they're meant to do are suffering. Yeah. People who are staying in their homes, wearing masks, sanitising, being good, are suffering. The cunts that are going on holidays to Lanzarote, however, <coughs> fuck every single one of them. I know. But like, the way they talk sometimes to people, I'm like, lads, come on, we're all, like, people are trying. Did you see that threat to Leo Varadkar up the north? The what? There was like, a, a written threat on a wall in Leo Varadkar. What did I say? Essentially, it was like, we have a noose and if you walk, if you cross the border, you're going to hang. Fuck. I couldn't understand why but I was like he's done plenty of things but like why I don't understand why all of a sudden you want to hang him Jesus Christ I didn't see that at all yeah it was I seen it yesterday morning Fuck. and that show with him and we watched it we didn't yeah, watch it you just, took, you're like Mary McAleese I can not believe it was yeah, Mary McAleese yeah. suddenly over at her on a little walk they were a, little a, little, a little jaunt a little jolly now. They're having a great um, time. and he was saying how difficult his life was being uh, from a very wealthy family and uh, the Taoiseach of the country ah, it's very hard it's, it's very, very hard difficult. to be Leo he's had a very difficult life he said a lot of people are politicians are using this pandemic for their political gain yeah, yeah. like you motherfucker yeah like every that's what politicians do oh listen to Kyle that's the whole cool. reason I want to be a politician because <laughs> I'm good at that um, oh but it's God. for the best I am in <laughs> you're aware yeah because I'm aware, aware <laughs> of what happens when you give Sarah power <laughs> it's um oh lads listen just I don't know I just I don't know just, everybody's cooking as well I've noticed I'm they're cooking gone, so they're going back food. into the cooking my sister's cooking loads of delicious looking food she made a Guinness and Guinness and beef stew beef stew oh they rotten I love Guinness and beef stew I don't like stew yeah you're not a stew fan no because we used to have it every Wednesday when we had no money um, yeah we had a lot of stew when, it wasn't a Wednesday it was Tuesday we had a lot of stew I could tell you every day of the week what we were going to have for dinner it was usually lamb and I don't like lamb lamb on a Tuesday no man wants to be in fucking reeking it no my mother Where's she getting the lamb from? Kathleen is a pauper. Whose penis was she sucking for the lamb? The butcher's. (laughs) (laughs) And she was very good at it because we got the best cut. She clearly was. (laughs) Fucking lamb on a Tuesday. (laughs) She made a lot of lamb stew. A lot of lamb stew. Or uh, the beef that you, the beef stew, that's chewing beef. Oh yeah, yeah, like shin beef. Yeah, she made a lot of that as well. I know, I have to say I'm, I'm partial to a shin beef goulash. Ooh. But not a beef stew. I am not. And my mum used to do shin beef and mince. Oh, I've never had that. And potatoes. Oh, I love the potatoes. And carrots and sausages. My mother used to make dumplings, suet dumplings. No, we never had. A, oh, I hate suet. I, I hate the texture of suet. loved suet dumplings. Oh, Jesus. And the gravy. Jesus. Where's she getting the suet as well? That's also from the lamb. <laughs> Emma just did a no, very good no. sign. No. Um, oh god! But uh, yeah, no, we didn't have. We used to have like. So for us, like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday were like waiting days. Yes, same, 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 right? same. So yeah. like Monday, we had. Oh, I fucking hate them. She called them beef mince burgers, house burgers. Oh, that's what Eddie Murphy calls them. <laughs> house burgers. 
Disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. <laughs> Massive lumps of beef. <laughs> on the pan. Mints. No, they're not they're not on the pan. Oh, did she bake them? So they're they used to be so she mince, egg, flour, salt, pepper. Oh, they used to make the exact onion. same thing. Onion. Yeah, exact same thing. Uh fucking mush it all together into a great big <coughs> Like a lump. Lump. Round patty, but like big. Then sear it in the pan. Okay. Then into the oven it went like oxo. On top? On top. And she made like eight of them. Sarah, this sounds like something I'd like. Oh, and then, but you know what? Maybe, no. Maybe you would. I think I'd like this. Then baked in the oven. Right. Then mashed potato. And more gravy. And butter in the mash. Ah, here, I'd love that. I'd eat that right now. I hated it. You weren't, but it's probably because you got it so much when yeah, you were so that a kid. Was Monday. Like, yeah. Tuesday we used to have like a mixed grill because we had no money. A mixed grill? Yes, Tuesday we'd come home and have breakfast for dinner. Because oh in the morning... Family, I swear to God. In the morning we didn't have breakfast. We used to have like porridge. Porridge, yeah, yeah. Well, not like we didn't have breakfast, but you know what I mean. You'd have like porridge or cereal yeah. or... Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Then off down to school, back up the road, mixed grill. And my dad's favourite dinner was a mixed grill. Um, And then on Wednesday we'd have like stew or like something else yeah. beef related. Mince. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, she used to do mince onions, mince gravy, onions over mash. Sarah, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. And, and I no, love I all say, of... That used to be me and Richie's favourite yeah, dinner. Yeah, I love that. She, I used to make volcanoes out Jesus, the Pavo families. Yeah. All of the same meals. Right, then Wednesday, that was Wednesday. Thursday, we got social welfare day. So what did you have on Thursday? Oh, geez, whatever we wanted. You went to town yeah. on Thursday. With no money left by Tuesday, <laughs> by Sunday. Um, did you ever have like a chips and pizza day or a chips and a burger day or like a... Like takeaway? No, like you'd have like fried chips. And yeah, like so probably like Thursday, Friday. You'd have that? She might make homemade burgers. Oh, nice. And chips. She never really, like I have to say, we never had any frozen food. Yeah, she, we were the same. We yeah. never had anything that was put in the oven. It was always yeah, like... Yeah, like she always made everything. Yeah, yeah. Oh, do you know what she used to make for me? What? Favourite dinner of the week. Maz lasagna. Oh. Do you know what I used to sometimes like to do? I do that thing. I see whatever's in my freezer and I cook it. Like I used to do like, or like do like a pea. I know you don't like peas. Peas. I do like peas. I do peas like peas, chips, a fried egg. No, absolutely not. Fucking love it. No, my man on the mixed right grill, it. mixed grill in particular, we'd always have chips with it. Oh, nice. I That's can't, nice. I can't have like dip chips dipped into an egg. I don't see the point in that. <laughs> I know it's I just great. I agree with it. <laughs> I, it's against my constitution. Does it make you feel unwell? Oh, it's just supposed to. Yeah, I, I, I don't see any. Like, I don't get what benefit you're getting from the yolk on those chips. You can't ever taste it. Yes, you can. No, you can't. Yes, you can. No, you can't. I'm going to fucking fight you, you um, bitch. Well, my mum makes the best chips. My mum used to make, uh, and I was never, I'm not a fan of fish. I'm not, I never was. But my mum used to, I think on like Thursdays or whatever, Thursdays or Fridays, she used to do, what's that red fish? Smoked cod. Smoked cod. Yeah. So she'd put batter on it yes. and deep fry it. Yes. And we'd have chips. Yes. And she used to do that. Yes. Or she used to make um, what we call rasp, but I know it's called, uh, you know, the potato pancake thingies. We call that potato bread. Potato bread. Well, what we call potato bread, you guys call boxty. So for us, potato bread, potato bread is not, you know, the one you were down in my house and she made the fried re- big round pancakes. Is that potato, potato bread? That were grated. No, we call that rasp. Potato bread is your boxty. So, what you so guys, what's rasp? Rasp is the one, the potato pancakes. Remember, it's like... Yeah, we the, don't have that up here. You had it when you were in my house, remember? You know, I've had... Your yeah, man's yeah. made for me. And you, yeah. I've quite often seen it up in the north. Yeah, it's full... Oh, man, um, she's But it's that. not a Dublin thing. With rashers and sausages and a cup of tea. 
And what would you have that on? Well, sometimes usually Saturday mornings they oh, would have okay. that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And we always had like a fry or pancakes on Saturdays. Oh, pancakes. Yeah, she quite often would make pancakes. Sometimes I, I could always tell when shit was really bad if she made pancakes on like the middle of the week. Eggs. Fucking exact same. My mum always said to me, you'll never go hungry if you flour yeah. milk and eggs in the house. I could always tell that we've got no we're money. Like, we are poverty We're having today. like pancakes for dinner. But they were delicious and I was yeah. very happy. I was like, can I have butter and sugar on that? She was like, no, no lemon. <laughs> no lemon? No. What? I'm not a fan of lemon. I never was. Even, even as little, a kid. Not even a little. P- no, I think there's a reason for it. I know what the reason is. So me you, and Richie drank the lemon juice. Yeah, that's going to do it to you. Yeah, and I was like, well, I'm never putting that on anything ever again. Yvonne used to drink vinegar. She's going to kill me. For, I don't care. Keep it in. She used to drink, drink it out of the bottle. Why? She loved it. Even but now she must like pickle juice, does she? She loves anything pickled. Yeah. Um, I My sister had a friend called, um, I won't say her name because it's actually pointless, Um, who ate raw potatoes. I see. Onions like like an uh, like an apple. And I like raw potatoes are very bad for your stomach. Oh my god, yeah. Look yeah. at Yvonne's Jenny Glow collection. She's like apples. Na 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 She's saying like, she's like, look at my Jenny Glow collection. I was like, that is a collection. Jenny, Jenny Glow, Jenny Glow. Here, ask her, is there a black orchid Tom Ford Jenny Glow, Jenny Glow ripoff? Yvonne, you can ask yourself. Go. Hello, Yvonne. It's Sarah Jane. Nice you're on, to the, talk you're to on you again. the podcast right now. You're on the podcast right now. She won't respond back now because I said that. <laughs> Go on. Um, I just want to know, is there a dupe for Jenny Glow for Tom Ford's Black Orchid let, let us me know. know let us know okay bye money um, there has to be Jenny Glow's the woman yeah people on the, fa- on like, the Facebook are all about it oh well girl tagged us today she bought a gorgeous a new Udi she was very happy Udi need to sponsor need to us give us some money I like so, the way I keep saying that and I've done I nothing I know I have to go to work help please with it. so I don't ever have to work again I hurt my boob last night how'd she do that I don't know it's really sore like here I don't know what I did. Oh, God, he fucking knows what I was doing. I was like, okay. Hey, I have, have been having loads of weird dreams. Oh, really? Someone, actually, someone I know. Oh, the uh, plant dream? The plant dream. Someone I know very near and dear to me has uh, COVID and is quite unwell with it oh. in hospital. Yeah. Um, And he said that he's having like really, really vivid dreams. He obviously has a fever. Oh, God, um, the poor thing. Yeah, and he said he's having like really vivid dreams. He said during night he was walking around work and I was in it and I text back saying, stop dreaming about me. <laughs> I'm married. Scary. Uh, like anything with um, feverish dreams are terrifying, I think. The kind of thing where it could be a good thing where it's like, oh, it's a fever dream, but it's happy. But then if it's a bad fever I dream. had a fever dream as a kid that I can still remember vividly to oh, this really? day. Yeah, that my mom turned into a tiger and was chasing me around the room. before, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I still remember to this day my dad like waking me up in the middle of my bedroom floor being like, snap out of me, you little freak. You little bitch. And my sister and I have the same. What are you going to do with your life? <laughs> my sister and I have the same recurring dream. Uh, my older sister and I, uh, there's a bridge in Mullingar where we, we live in Mullingar, <gasps> that bridge that goes down. And I have a dream that I'm a baby in a in a basket and I'm falling into the water and she was the exact same dream but it really? must have been some maybe I told her about it or something and then she picked up on it but uh, I, I hear my recurring dream when I was a kid growing up go and McKayla used to like be really annoyed because I used to have it all the time and I was terrified and I was terrified of the item because of it I used to have a recurring dream of walking across the halfpenny bridge in Dublin or right. the halfpenny bridge the halfpenny bridge Um, and as okay. I was walking across it the like cement and lats would be falling oh, that's terrifying and I'd have to like figure out a way across and then I'd get right to the other side where the two L ones sit with the shopping bags yeah and I'd fall 
that is terrifying anything to and do just with- before I hit the water I'd wake up yeah that was me I, I, I can remember just being in the basket I haven't had it in years but being in the basket and just falling 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 down but then also and I remember my mum was young when I was younger my mum told me that when I was a kid I was a little fuck and she was walking me home I refused to get into the push chair she was walking me home we were still in Mullingar at the time and uh, I was like kicking up a fuss and I was like I'm not getting the push chair so my mum picked up the push chair and fucked it into that river what? just picked it up fucked it into the river and she said you can walk now that's a full blown mental breakdown yep. she was like boom done I don't blame her I was a little cunt I remember that's also illegal jumping she was like Ugh. get in the river uh, I was a little tantrum thrower so I don't blame her Really? I threw one tantrum. Well, I, I threw a couple of tantrums, but I, my mom said that she was like, had uh, enough of me. She said, we went to Crazy Prices. Crazy Prices? She said, I threw a full tantrum. Blown. A full-blown one. Lost it. She said, I got down on my hands and knees, started to kick and yeah, scream. I did that. She said, she stood over me and walked out of the shop. Yeah. She's, did you literally I'd say really I, she's, I don't remember but she said I got like really panicked came out running screaming crying thought that I was like she'd lost. left you yeah and then she was like if you ever do that again I just won't be here and when you come out of the shop I, you'll be by yourself which deal with it and then I never did it again people are like get down to their level and talk to them just walk away walk outside <laughs> close the door walk outside just leave them just leave them hide in the corner <laughs> yeah she also used to go into the bathroom and scream into towels yeah so. that's not good yeah that's not a good sign mothers in the 80s man <laughs> In the 80s into the 90s. Was it a good time? It was a good time. a lot. A lot was happening. They were really young. They were very poor. They're all really young. Yeah. Jesus. Fair play to any mother in the 80s. They got through because fuck me. It was fucking tough, man. Like I look at mothers now and they're so... Calm. (laughs) But our mothers were not calm. Like... They were very angry. Yeah. <laughs> but then I'm like, it was probably because we both kind of had dads that weren't exactly I had a dad that there was all the time. Do you know what I mean? Chasing his dreams. <laughs> he was going to make it big. In a big way. And my mom was fucking frying fucking two day old fish. Oh God. Caroline. Singing. Have you got any coppers? <laughs> Have you got any coppers? <laughs> Change for the babies. <laughs> No. Any clothes for the baby. You did a great job, Carla. Um no. But you know what? And I will there's what I'm about to say is a confounded lie at times. But I never went hungry. Yeah, same. And as much as like weird and awful and like events happened, I never felt like genuinely like <laughs> I'm trying to like make myself say something that I don't actually know if I believe. I always had fun yeah you, you have you have good memories of your childhood you have good they're usually just of me beating Richie up yeah but, but like, like you still because of your closeness with Richie and stuff I'd say that that was like yeah. a really positive thing for you like, guys you know what I mean and my dad was like a good dad yeah he, he was wasn't fun. abusive he wasn't mean um, he wasn't cruel and, but like my mum was just under a lot of pressure and trying yeah. to keep it all together but that's the thing and it, it's only when I look back at it now and I'm like Jesus like I, I always say when I look at my press sometimes I'm like I have no food in this house but I know if my ma walked in here she could put a meal together Oh yeah, and they're so. My mom is so good at that. Yeah, but it's because she was struggling, yeah. and she had to feed her children. Yeah, so it's like, but I know if I had kids, I'd be like, just eat it myself. And that's the thing. Like, I'm gonna be fucking frank. Yesterday morning, Lily got me and Lily got up, and I was in no mood. Sure, you see me yesterday? Yeah, I know. Yeah, Lily had a cupcake for breakfast because yeah. I was like, I why the care. fuck not? I did. It's very bad. That's it's not, not very bad. It's a one-off thing. Would you stop? That's not a one-off thing. You've been in my house. Listen, 
She's happy. Um, she's a good kid. She's not a little fucker. She was like, can I have a cupcake? I was like, do you know what? Today Just you can have, have a fucking cupcake. Whatever you want. Yeah. She has to, she tried to make a sandwich by herself. So. How did it go? Yeah, it went really well. Yay. And she said, I'm going to make my own lunch. And I was like, okay. And then I came down like two hours later and she was like, I'm hungry now. <laughs> I was like, what did you have? And she was like, a sandwich. I was like, what did you want in a sandwich? She was like, crisps. Sorry. She is Sarah Jane Heffernan's door. She put ham and crisps on it. That's a good sandwich. Mm. She just needs a bit of cheese now. I think she said she had cheese, but she just said the cheese she by itself. She had the cheese by itself. That's really funny. Um, anyhow. Mr. Heems, are you okay? How has your week been? Uh, other than the cats. Other than cats, grand. Like, nothing's, nothing's happened. I've been no? very. No. I've been, has it? No. I've done nothing. Every time you ask me what I've done, I'm like, I've done nothing. I ordered 10 bucks last night. <gasps> What books did you order? I couldn't even tell you. Did I mess you? I messed you at like three o'clock this morning, didn't I? Did you? On Instagram, yeah. I sent you the picture of that dress that I thought would look really pretty on you. Oh yeah, yeah. I like that place. Because I was awake at like half three and I was like, I'll just order some books. So I ordered uh, four or five graphic novels that I wanted. But they're all super cheap because um, Kenny's Books Shop in Galway is great if you want to order books online from an Irish bookstore. Really fast delivery and super cheap. And they have loads of stuff. Um, so I ordered loads of books from them. But then I had to order one from the book depository because I couldn't get it anywhere else. But I ordered the other ones from What's people's problems with the book depository? Guess who owns. Amazon? Yeah. Did they always own it? Yeah. But they started as a bookstore? Yeah. Okay. And then Amazon were like... No, no, no. Amazon started as a bookstore. Yeah, Amazon started as a bookstore. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and then they bought the book depository, they did, did they? But depository is great because it's free shipping on everything. And they're super cheap as well. And they always have really, really good deals. But uh, yeah, that's what I did last night. Court past three and I was like, well, Sarah would like this dress. Yeah, I do like that dress. Their stuff is gorgeous. I bought a t-shirt today. <clears throat> Which part did you pick From the girl who did our tattoo, Sam Whitehead. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's she, it like? It's actually really nice. It's like a cheetah with love hearts on it. Cute. It's pre-orderable. Is um, it colourful or is it black and white? Or? It's black and red what red love hearts on it. It's really graphic. Yeah. I really like it. I can't wait for it to come. Um, She's super talented. She is. Um, what about what else any, any book book any um, what's the word housekeeping housekeeping yeah. you've not been interacting with anybody about have anything have messaging people in yeah have they not said anything to you of any interest they're just being nice to us oh, I okay. just feel bad when I when I come on here and be like everyone thinks they're great have we had any bad messages no none nothing people oh, are Jesus never Christ, we need to try harder people are never uh, mean or negative in any capacity and I think if they were I probably just wouldn't reply because I get panicked I'm like huh, someone else sent us one me, me message it was something a while ago it. oh yeah what did she say to us I can't remember now but I remember messaging you being like the fuck but I blocked her she was incredibly rude she sent us a message saying hey you, hey, you shut your mouth knock it off kind of thing <laughs> and I was like blocked immediately um, blocked Um, but yeah no we started there. a debate on the Facebook oh no what's wrong is no, a good debate? debate. Okay, okay. Around dock leaves. What's the debate? People, because I said, you were laughing at me because I said, I thought dock leaves were called dock leaves because they make you feel better. Yeah. And you were like, no, they're called dock leaves. They're called docking Dockin leaves. leaves. Yeah. People were like, oh, someone told me, someone pretty from England messaged us and was like, yeah, we have nettles too. We've all had the nettle experience. And I was like, okay, because I didn't know. No, people were like, we called them dock leaves for the same reason as Sarah Jane. Because they're from doctors. No, because they were like, <laughs> and then other people were like, um, um, same. and then other people were like, we called them dot leaves like you. 
Um, there's another, there's another name that people call them as well, but I can't remember what it is because we used to call them one thing and then I think our cousins used to call them something else, but I can't remember the word, but I know people wipe their arse with them when the shit feels and stuff. Oh, someone told a ringing funny story on Facebook where they said they came across a woman taking a shit and <laughs> they went on a walk. Oh no. They went on a walk and oh. they went on a walk during the pandemic and came across a woman taking a shit. Um, what would you do what would you do like what would you do you just have to keep going you can't stop it it's not ending like you just have to let it finish <laughs> did I ever tell you about the time I came across a woman at the bats down the road Sean Dunn's bats by the way bats for anybody that lives outside Ballyfermot is, is a fucking swimming pool, pool. Anyway, yeah. go on. it's not just a Ballyer thing it's a Dublin um, it's a real Dublin inner yeah. city thing anyway I was walking down the road Sean Dunn back in the day it's gone now um, the gym no it was just Sean Dunn swimming pool oh okay okay uh, Sean Dunn bats no, no, Sean Dunn's swimming pool. But did it say Sean Dunn's bath? I think it just said Sean Dunn's swimming pool. <laughs> um, I see if I can get a picture of it. I show you. It was absolutely the most depressing building you've ever seen in your life. It was just like a poured cement concrete block, and up the very top of the front of it had tiny, you know, the windows that they have in prison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those tiny little slit windows. Yeah. They were up the very top of it. Jesus. And then on the very end of it was a great big solid metal blue door Jesus that looks like so it looked like a prison basically. yes and it was painted so the uh, metal door was painted like dark navy blue and the rest of the building was pa- painted like corn blue and then all of the piping was painted a like a legitimate cream. prison yeah yeah fucking hell and if you were in the summer projects you used to get tickets for the swimming pool where you got like to go swimming for like 50p <laughs> And we'd all go down like I saw a tweet a while ago that made me laugh that my sister sent it to me I think and she was like <clears throat> if you ever went to Longford swimming pool when you were a child don't worry about what's in the vaccine. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like it's so fucking true. I wouldn't <laughs> uh, we used to fall, so there was a six foot and a three foot yeah. right? So it went three foot four foot five foot six foot. Yeah. Six foot you had to learn how to swim, swim you properly, to yeah, and yeah. obviously we were little kids so six foot to us was like, like so deep. the abyss. Yeah yeah yeah. And we used to it also had a rule of like no diving no running all of that stuff no one everyone just did whatever the fuck they wanted <laughs> and when you walked into the swimming pool when you walked into the baths you went through this little turnstile you gave there was like a ticket that literally was like a little glass window like where you went to like in the old post office or the social welfare office oh Longford was like this is what yeah. I think and you slid it under yeah right yeah, and yeah, you yeah. slid your money under and if you had your uh, ticket. ticket you slid your ticket under and then they used to um, be like alright in you go so then when you went in there was like the uh, a big kind of square box that was into like where you gave in your clothes right and to the left of that was the changing rooms and on the other side of that box was the boys changing rooms and so but the changing rooms had no doors on them exact same yeah awful. and just had these great big marble we had just like uh, marble no like lats lats yeah yeah. yeah 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 and a lat on the front and he used to give you when you went to the change they used to give you a blue basket and a band, a band with a colour yeah, yeah. right and so you get the blue basket you go into change rooms and then what, as girls what we all did is we'd all take turns but what we do is we'd stack the blue baskets in front or someone holds hell yeah. <laughs> um, we'd stack the blue baskets in front so no one could see, see in, in and we'd all just get changed then you'd give your blue basket in excuse me and then you'd have to walk through like the water that was fucking freezing that oh, washed your that feet disinfected your feet yeah yeah um, and then you'd go and you were in the swim pool. The girl's side open, came out on the six foot and the boy's side came out on the three foot. But the six foot was always full of shit. 
So I remember once jumping into the sixth one. So me and Richie used to have one pair of goggles between us. <laughs> and we used to like... This is the poverty podcast. <laughs> we used to stand <laughs> at the sixth one and then one of us would dive in and dive to the bottom and the other one would tie it. You'd be like, see how fast, <laughs> see how fast that person can get down and back up, yeah. right? And so I remember once Richie was like timing me, I had the goggles on, I got to the bottom and I opened my eyes and there was a big, like a hundred bag of jellies. <laughs> Are you? Did you take them? It was Coca Cola bottles, and I told her they were rotten. I picked them up, and brought them up to the top, and was like, "Here, Tom, clean the fucking pill." Fuck <laughs> oh off! Um, How did we survive yeah. this shit? Like, so, like, if you're worried about the vaccine, if you've ever been in one of those swim pills, Longford swim pill, man, was the exact yeah. same. It was the worst. Like, I remember all I remember from Longford swim pill is plasters, people's bandages. Oh, there's nothing worse. I know, just uh, yeah. My thing, my thing was when uh, you were swimming and something touched your foot, and you're like, "What's uh, a plaster?" <laughs> And then you'd be going home saying, Man, do I have a Veruca? I touched the pastor. Oh, I was disgusted. Jesus Christ. Blech. When Richie got hit by a car, we were going to the uh, swimming pool. Oh, really? Yeah. I was getting my hair done to go swimming. Uh, getting your was, hair done to go swimming? Yeah, so because my hair was like so oh, long. My mum was okay. cutting it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And was tying it up into a bun. And Richie was like irritating the shit out of me. And she couldn't get it done. So she said to him, Go over, because we lived in my granddad's house. And she was like, Go over the road and get some fucking jellies. <laughs> Leave us alone! <laughs> and so Richie was like, fine, I will. And off he went. And he pressed the traffic lights, but a drunk driver broke the lights oh, and hit him. fuck. And I remember hearing it, because like we lived like literally right beside the... You heard it? Yeah, because like my grand... You know where my sister lives? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Directly across the road from there, it used to be a shop. Oh! You know where traffic lights yeah, yeah, yeah. are? So you heard like the screech? That used to be seven days. Did you find who it was? Yeah, did the you? guy was like... um he was there. My dad, like my my mom and dad were like came out. Richie was lying. So oh, when he got hit Sarah. by the car, he went up into the air. He, so he got like the guy fully went through the lights, hit him, and he went up into the air. This is what other people tell us because we were sitting, in, we were in the, house. in the house, yeah. And he landed on the ground, and then Richie says that he just knew he wasn't safe. So he said he, got he up just got he... up, and when he got up, he just got up and he got to the path, footpath, and then he just collapsed. And so when we came out, he That's was collapsed on the ground. And mom was like, didn't, like I was in a state of like shock, panic. And the guy who hit him, I remember exactly what he looked like, was standing outside my granddad's house at the Did wall. Did anything happen to him? No. Did he get in trouble or anything? He, so what happened was, my dad started to speak to him. My dad took like all the information from yeah. him. And my dad was like, are you drunk? And he was like, no, I'm not. And my dad was like, are you drunk? Have you been drinking? Like you've oh broken her, and like God. there was those people around that were like he's breaking a red line. Uh, everyone had come out of the shop, so people had seen what happened. Yeah, basically, an yeah. ambulance was called and was on the oh, way. Richie. And then all three of us got like bundled into the back of the ambulance. All four of us, me, Mam, Dad, and Richie. And then by the time we left, the guards had come, but that guy had driven off. And then the guards came to Our Lady's Children's Hospital, which by at that time Richie was now. So in the old Arch, old Our Ladies Children Hospital A and E, there used to be like a ball pit in the corner. Really? Yeah, yeah. So there's still toys and stuff there now, but there used to be like a full on like ball pit and like plastic toys, like those like mats. And yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah, yeah. Rich was doing like backflips off into the balls. There's nothing wrong with them. Um, at this point, by the time the guards came, but they were weren't like the, the hospital were like you can't leave because he was to be admitted. Yeah, yeah. Um. But when the guards came, they were like, he gave you false information. None of that. I don't know if it was real. Yeah. And they never found him. Scumbag. Yeah. Do you want to hear one of my, my most remembered shame stories for my little swimming pool? Go on. So I was like, I would have been in like fifth class. What age are you in fifth class? 
12? 11. 11, 12. So we went swimming and... uh we were in the swimming pool and we were, they were like, te- like training us and teaching us and stuff. So then they were like, okay, everybody out. So we had to like grab the bar to like lift yourself up to get up onto the little thing. Like they're not a ladder? No, no, but they were making, they were teaching us how to do that. How to like get out of the pool without using the ladder. So we had to grab the bar, yeah, it's weird. Grab the bar and lift ourselves up and everybody did it and I couldn't do it because I was too big. Oh, and I still remember it. I remember just like the shame spiral, like the shame spiral. And I remember home and I just like cried for two days. Oh, yeah, it's crazy because whenever I think of swimming pools, that's the one memory that's like that you think of immediately. immediately. I, 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 went for, I had swimming lessons that were just like those ones, and I think I remember because everyone used to get out of pool that way, and I couldn't either. Yeah, because they were like because they were they were showing they were like this is how you do it. And I was showing like, what do you teach? I can't do this. Yeah. So. <laughs> I, like I remember Peter who lived next door who we used to go swimming with being like do you want like get out of pill this way and yeah. he'd be like what's the fucking point in the ladder <laughs> let's go the ladder yeah. fuck off it was almost like they were doing it on purpose to fucking shame us or something but anyway I yeah. still can't get out of pill that way I can't remember I've never I haven't been swimming in years because I won't wear swimming suits so. but I did love swimming I loved swimming swimming's one of my favourite things it in the world it was so fun I used to fucking love it yeah, and I love going swimming in the sea oh so nice and I'm terrified of the sea Last time we went swimming, no, it's not the last time. A couple of years ago, when we went on a holiday. We went swimming out to sea. We went quite far out. Yeah. I had my GoPro on, and me and Graham swam right out. And on the GoPro, me and Graham were like chatting, and Graham said to me, What would you do if someone just touched your foot now? And then that was it. I was like, Well, I have to go back in now. Thanks very much. <laughs> Something is going to touch my foot. Both of us swam back in, and we got back in, and just as we get back in, the police come up the beach on the boat and shut down the boat. This, uh, beach and make everybody get out of the water and they're like out of water out of water and they're saying it in Spanish and then I was like what's going on and then a helicopter appeared and then the boat was going back and forth back and forth back and forth and then there's a little co- cafe on the beach that we go to in this place in Spain and um what is the name of the beach La Mata Beach it's called La Mata and um we walked up to the cafe and I was getting pizza for Lily and the guy behind the um the the counter counter was like oh megalodon megalodon like a shark yeah and he was like there's a shark in the water and Graham was like get the GoPro (laughs) we were in there why did we see that (laughs) no sign of the megalodon on the GoPro I've never looked at the footage because I don't want to know if there was a shark because I would never get back in the water but it was quite a big shark and it was on the news then fuck yeah because the whole beach had to be shut so it's not usual it's it's not unusual for them to get sharks but apparently it was like quite a big one they were like fuck we got it we gotta shut this shit down yeah yeah Anyway, anyhow, that's all of my news. I have no news. I have no other news. Um, good chats. Good chats, friend. Yeah, fresh. I chats. only saw you yesterday, but good chats. Yeah, but today, yesterday, I didn't see you for very long because I was crying my eyes out. But you're okay now. <laughs> right? My life's We're all allowed to have. We're all allowed to have a cry. I don't. You know what I'm like. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I, I don't know. do well crying. I know, but I, was I don't glad, like I was, crying. I'm just glad that you cried, but I was glad that you were able to cry. Oh my God, I had one of the, You know those cries where you're like, <gasps> oh, hundred percent. You're trying to talk. I just, I can't. Hey, what I'm trying to say, mommy, please. I always want to go outside. Yeah, one of those. I want to go sleep now. And then just go sleep. And your lips are all like, yeah. I'm all like, you got those sexy crying lips. I just want the pandemic to be over. I don't want to go to work anymore. Brexit's killing me. Brexit's killing me too. Fuck Brexit. Brexit's killing me. Absolutely fuck Brexit. Like in work eight to nine at night. Can't trying to sort Brexit. The load of shit. Anyone listening to this podcast, I voted yes for Brexit. Stop listening. Stop listening. Fuck off. Stick 
Your hand up your arse. <laughs> your hand up your arse. That's how I feel every day in work. Yeah. That there is a hand up my arse. A hand up my hole. Yep. I might be into that. I don't think I'll be into that. I don't think so. I don't trust my arse. No, I do not trust my arse. Yeah, no, yeah. immediately. There's too many things happening down there for me to be like, this is a safe zone. Yeah. And I don't adhere to the things that I'm meant to eat. I eat everything. Oh, I'm no, no, no. Eat. Yeah. So the bread, the milk, the cheese. It's not a safe zone. Anyhow. So. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of the oh, Murder Most Irish. <laughs> Attention feminists. Murder Most Irish merchandise available now from teespring.com. Plain, boring old teas getting you down. Hey, buddy, does your huddy scream fuddy duddy? Spruce up your wardrobe with brand new and improved MMI apparel exclusively from teespring.com. Don't be a mug. Buy one of ours. Like to steal things? Conceal your identity at the local shop and go with a kooky face mask. Be the swingingest crazy bag lady on the block with our organic totes. Murder most Irish merchandise at teespring.com for all your murder feminist needs. Teespring.com is a third-party company. All stock manufacturing, purchases and refunds are handled exclusively by them. Any queries should be directed to www.teespring.com. Um, what's your story, Sergeant? You didn't, I'm going to I don't do a know. story about Rachel O'Reilly. Oh, for I don't God. know if it's Rachel Riley or Rachel O'Reilly. Every it's like I it's, Oh man, the way th- different articles change shit and I'm like she had seven siblings, she had yeah. two siblings, she yeah. was an only child. Okay, here we go, let's get into it. Um I officially signed up to the Independent. Yay! And giving them their four euro a month. Um and I'm disgusted. <laughs> Um, I got most of my information from um, a number of articles in the Independent during the time that this case was happening. Okay. Um, uh, mens rea. Good old mens rea. Red-handed. Colin kept saying to me today, is that her name? Is, is what her name? Mens rea, is that her name? <laughs> mens rea! Like, what the fuck are you talking about? Mens rea, Colin, is the name of the podcast. It's not her name, no. Um, red-handed. Oh, yeah, red-handed, yeah. And... Um, Oh, Press Reader, which was an article, uh, isn't the article. The article was actually in the Sunday Independent. Very good, very good, very okay. good. Okay. Rachel O'Reilly. October 4, 2004, Rachel slept in as Joe got up and headed to the gym at 5.45am. He left and soon after Rachel woke up as normal. She woke her two children, Luke and Adam, and got ready to go to crash. She had breakfast with them. And it was a normal day by all accounts. It was normal that Joe would get up before Rachel and leave and not wake any of them up. He would quite often go hot, to the gym. Hot take. Hot take. Anyone that goes to the gym at 5.45 is a killer. Yep. No, there's no hot take. <laughs> hot take. Hot takes. <laughs> Graham used to go to gym at 5.45am. That's what I said. Yeah. That's what I said. When we were getting married. Dig up Sarah's back garden. Um... Graham is adverse to manual labour, so I feel like he's never <laughs> dug no, anything. Nothing up. is buried. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, when we were getting married, like the year before I got married, he went on this like fucking fitness buzz of like trying to like. He was the opposite of me. He was trying to like fit into something for the wedding. I was like, I am who I am. Um, Did he go at like five forty five in the morning? So? Yeah, he used to go before work. I went to the gym one time at six a.m. and I came home and threw up, and I said, "That's my body telling me now." <laughs> No more of that for you. You are done. Listen to your body. Yep, yeah, yeah, so I listened. Um, I have never been in the gym at that time ever in my oh, life. One time. The only time I've ever gotten up at that time Killer. to do anything other than go to work is Holiday. to go to the airport. Yeah. Um, or if I'm really sad or I can't sleep. 
Rachel was born in Dublin in 1973. She was born as Teresa Green to a 17-year-old girl and it was agreed she would put, be put up for adoption. The Callaly family adopted her, Rose and Jim would become her parents and she was adopted into a loving, growing family. She had two brothers and later Jim and Rose adopted two more children, a boy and another girl. They lived in Dublin and her father was a plumber. In the 1980s, during the recession, the family moved to Australia, but Rose, Rachel's mother, struggled to settle and they very quickly returned to Ireland. I have no desire to ever live in Australia. Lovely people, but uh, there's far too many creatures yeah. that can potentially kill you. I just, we're not built for the climate. No. I know we got sent there as like prisoners. Prisoners, but we weren't sent there. Our ancestors were. Yeah. So I don't want to go there. And also I saw a video the other day of a woman who found a nest of spiders in her daughter's bedroom. Did you tell me that they call out events while you're driving? No, Colin was saying that. It's terrifying. <laughs> terrifying. I told you what you need to do. If anyone from this is listening in Australia, you need to put cling film over those vents. Set the car on fire. <laughs> Rachel had a lovely upbringing. She was involved in a number of community sports and clubs. She was cycling, gymnastics, basketball. She cycled with her dad and her parents were open and honest about all of their children's adoptions. When Rachel was 18, she contacted the Irish Adoption Board to make contact with her biological mother. Rachel's birth mother had married and started her own family in Clondalkin, but was delighted to have a chance to meet her. They met and Rachel began a relationship with her half-brothers and sisters, and her relationship was on and off with her mother, but she emailed and wrote to her birth mother throughout her life at different stages. Oh, nice. Excuse me, everybody, I'm still quite bunged up. There is a little bit sick. Rachel met Joe when she was 17. They both worked in Arnott's. Do you want to hear a funny story about Arnott's? Yes. First time me and Graham went to New York. Very first summer in America. We were in Foot Locker near Times Square. Yeah. Graham was buying runners and the guy serving him had a Dublin jersey on. Like a Dublin GAA jersey. Okay. Dublin are spon I don't know if they are or where, but they were sponsored by Arnott's at this time. Yeah. And when he was like serving Graham, Graham was like, Oh man, I love your jersey. And I love your 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 top. Yeah. And the guy turned to Graham and was like, "Oh yeah, I love Arnott's. It's a great store." <laughs> he bought like an Arnott's t shirt. <laughs> and Graham was like, "No, that's like our our, our football our football, our football team, our Dublin football team." And the guy was like, "What?" And he was like, "No, <laughs> no, I love Arnott's." And Graham was like, "I'm just letting it go. Just let it go. He likes yeah. Arnott's. Just leave it alone." <laughs> um. So they both worked in Arnott's. Joe noticed Rachel straight away. He never, he didn't speak to her. He just noticed her. And he overheard her talking about softball. She played in a team and he decided he would just show up and watch. This is going well so far. She wasn't there that night. So he appeared another night and persuaded her to go out with him. Good man, Joe. It's like, fuck off. Fuck off, Joe. They dated and eventually the relationship became serious. And in 1994, Joe proposed to Rachel on the Eiffel Tower. And I just have a big capital letter. The rats. <laughs> I'm sure the rats watched. Sure the rats were like, oh, yeah. And then like ate some shit. Dirty rats. <laughs> if you've never been to the Eiffel Tower, don't go. It's full of rats. <laughs> In 19... It's not magical. It's not no, magical. It's not magical. Men were very uh, aggressive as well. With the cat calling. Super and the, aggressive. Yes, I noticed. That they My mum and dad went to Paris for their honeymoon. Aww. In 1994. They have been married since 1983. <laughs> <laughs> As I said, the poverty podcast. This is the poverty podcast. Um, to everyone looking from the outside, in Joe and Rachel's life was happy and peaceful. Around the time Rachel decided she wanted to move from Santry to live in a... Oh, wait. 
I've skipped a whole bit. No, I haven't. Yeah, I have. Sorry. Um, so they got married in... Uh, they got engaged in Paris. Right. In 1997, Joe and Rachel married. Joe was now working in an IT company and Rachel was working in a solicitor's office. In 2000, Joe landed a good job with an outdoor advertising company managing 20 or so staff that hung advertisements on buses and bus stops. He would travel a little bit for work around to different depots and ensure that the work was completed to a high standard. Um, so Someone I know used to work with him in this company. No way. Yeah, I'll tell you after this. Okay. Um, He, at this point, began making overnight trips. Oh, to everyone looking from the outside in, Joe and Rachel's life was happy and peaceful around this time. Rachel, uh, around this time, Rachel decided that she wanted to move from Santry to live in like a country village or a smaller community for the boys. Her and Joe both decided it was the right time, but Joe insisted he was too busy yeah, Joe. Okay, Joe. to look at houses with her. They're putting up some posters, Joe, calm down. Yeah, like... Can I just say, I love when I don't know a story properly and then you tell me the story because it feels like I'm like watching a Netflix show. Yeah, no, I this, this. On, when I started to, I know this story, but like I didn't fully know it. Yeah. So Rachel began the search on her own. Rachel. Yeah. If Graham said to me, I'm too busy to come and look for a new house that we're going to live in for the rest yeah, of no, our life with up. our child. Yeah. But you know what? You can suck a great big bag <laughs> of dicks. I am leaving you. Um, so long. She found a three bedroom bungalow in Knoll, or is it the Knoll? Anyway. Never heard of that in my life. Have you never heard of the Knoll? No, what's it's that? It's like on the border of Mead. So, my sister got back. Will I, will I play what she said? Yeah. And we can just cut it out. Hi, people. Okay, so there is one by a perfume crowd called Just Jack. Oh. I think it's called uh, Black Noir. And it is a dupe for the Tom Ford one. She fucking knows everything. Um, and one. then there's another one. It's Black Cedar. Now, it's a little bit heavier than... The Black Orchid, um, but that's a Jenny Glow one. Um, and that's a dupe as well. Okay. Bye. Where'd she get that Cork accent from? She has okay, been... it's actually called Lady Noir. Lady Ooh. Noir, Black Noir. She sent pictures. I'll she send them on to you. She's a good woman. You're a star. I'm going to say, you're going to be on the podcast. <laughs> you're going to be on the podcast. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, look at that. Show me. It's uh kind of looks like... So that's the... What's it called? Just Jack. Just Jack. <laughs> Just Jack. And Just Jenny Jack. Glow. She's <laughs> <laughs> made for the same company. Just Jack, Lady Noir. That's it there. Okay, I'll have a look at it. Some ears. Okay. Oh, wait. Yeah. I'm going to start this entire part. Sorry, again. sorry, Sarah Jane. No, sorry. To everyone looking in from the outside, in Joe and Rachel's life was happy and peaceful. Around this time, Rachel decided that she wanted to move from Santry and live in a country village or a smaller community for their two boys her and Joe both decided it was the right time but Joe insisted he was just too busy to look at a house fucking lazy cunt lazy Joe get your shit Joe so Rachel began the search on her own she found a three bedroom bungalow in the Knoll on a small piece of land so the Knoll is like on the border of Mead it's like pretty much like the last village is it like a little village yeah oh okay it's quite it's kind of rural right but it's still in Dublin. Yeah. It was on a hill and you could just see the ocean from the back garden. It needed some cosmetic work, but she felt it could be the place. And she called Joe and he agreed. They made an offer and moved in. Rachel worked hard and, and fast at becoming a member of the community. She threw a barbecue for her family and neighbours, but Joe Aww. was not so keen. She took part in the campaigns in the local area to prevent a telephone mast, which didn't succeed. So the telephone mast was... was put up. And it's really important that telephone mass was put up in terms of what happens next. Okay. And they also... So there was a quarry quite near them and that's where this telephone mass was going to go. Right. 
She sold Avon and she organized cycles in the local area. She was like a big part of her community. Aww. Around this but around this time, Joe bumped into Rachel's half-sister in the gym and Rachel struck up a relationship with her mum again. Okay. So um, the gym that Joe went to. went to, Rachel's half-sister from her biological mother worked there. Okay. And um, like Joe knew them because like when Rachel was, Rachel was only young. And she she was, would have been getting back yeah. to know her family. Yeah, um, yeah. So they struck up a relationship again. And um, Joe or Rachel and her mother and sister became like really friendly. They would do like coffee mornings and breakfasts and like she would email them quite a lot. Like she, <laughs> they were like a big part okay, of her life. That's cool. Um, she went for coffee with her sister and mum and she spoke about the difficulties in her marriage. So during this time, she starts talking to people um, about like Joe having like dark episodes and being quite like depressive and kind of saying that like their marriage isn't really like what it seems. Okay. He would belittle Rachel and call her names. He told people she was a dragon. Um, he began sleeping in the spare room. He started to go on work trips overnight, being away from home at Lent. He booked a softball trip to Florida, dated for the same week as Rachel's 30th birthday. Oh, this guy's a fucking piece of work. He booked a dinner for her birthday to make up... He booked a dinner to make up for her 30th birthday and then he missed and cancelled it last minute. Then out of nowhere, social services were called anonymously and they began to investigate Rachel on an anonymous call or complaint that she was rough with her children and a bad mother. In June of 2004, she couldn't figure out uh, why she was being investigated. And by the end of the summer in 2004, the cracks in their marriage were beginning to show. They had a huge row in front of their friends and family at like a dinner. Rachel told a number of friends that she was convinced Joe was having an affair. Um, the gym he attended, uh, which is where Rachel's sister worked, he would give like women his phone number, like openly in front of Rachel's half sister, oh and like God. had like this wandering eye and like give them his phone number and be like, "Hey, do you want to meet?" Didn't oh, give a fuck like that. No, her was doing all was in plain sight. He would say that Rachel was fat, that she never lost the baby weight, that he was Ugh. like repulsed by her. Um, he slept in the spare room. Oh my <clears> God, Jane. <throat> he stopped going to family gatherings. <clears throat> Excuse me. Any he did attend, he would sulk off by himself or just play with the kids. He'd avoid being with the adults. He would chat up women and he would do this all in plain sight of other people and he just didn't really seem to care. Oh, this poor girl. Um, on Friday 1st of October, she called her friend Paula. She said she was depressed. So Rachel call her, calls her friend uh, Paula on the 1st of October. She said that she's depressed and she put her, that she put on weight, that she was going to confront Joe because she was fairly certain he was having an affair. Okay. Uh, and that night or weekend, her children started to talk about daddy's friend, Nikki. <clears throat> oh, shit. So... This woman keeps coming up in conversation and now her two children who are like five and three are saying that like it's daddy's friend that they've been in her house with him. Like so she's fairly certain that he's having an affair and that she's going to confront him. And she also says on that call that she's going to like look for custody of the children. She confronts him on the night of the 3rd of October into the 4th. 
And she tells him that she's going to take the kids and that she wants a divorce, essentially. And she tells Paula that all this is, is happening She's going to do this. He sleeps in the spare room. And then he wakes at 5.45am that morning and goes to the gym. Goes to the guy. He's careful not to disturb his sleeping family. Rachel got up, as I said above. She starts her day as normal. She's seen by a number of people dropping the boys off the crash. The milkman saw her car back at the family home at 10am. <clears throat> but he noted that the curtains were drawn which isn't normal at 12.30 a.m. 12.30 came and she didn't show up to collect her youngest so she had an agreement that she would collect her youngest child but then her oldest child she only collected two days out of the week and one of her friends collected That's him regular. Okay. Um, <clears throat> excuse me so at 12.30 AM came she didn't show up to collect her youngest son the crash rang Rachel and the house and got no answer they then called Joe on his mobile and explained he called his brother-in-law to see if Rachel was there but he said no and that he nor his mum Rose had seen Rachel Rose hearing this said she got a sinking feeling she said she just knew something was wrong so she gets in her car and she leaves the house and heads straight to Lambay View that's the name of their house Joe however Heads to the crash and is just hanging around the school ringing people. He doesn't head back to their family home. What the fuck? My, so, my cat is snoring, by the way, if you can hear that in the background, <laughs> I apologize. Um, and so he's just hanging around school ringing Rachel's friends, asking if anyone has seen her. He isn't in a hurry to get back to the house to see if she's there. Not when, making a half obvious, is he? When Rose arrived at the house, she saw that the car was still her- there. Now, I'm just... The next bit I get into is kind of graphic. Okay. So, trigger warning for anybody. She sees the car is still there and she said her heart sank. She said Rachel's house was off the beaten track and if you were going somewhere, she would have taken the car. She lets herself into the kitchen in the back. When when she got to the patio sliding door, she noticed the curtains were pulled. She said they never been pulled as this is how most people entered the house through the back door, which is really normal in the country. Mm-hmm. She lets herself in and immediately notes that the kitchen's torn apart and the tap in the kitchen is on. There's CDs and DVDs everywhere and all the drawers in the kitchen have been pulled out and emptied onto the floor. The house is being ransacked and she moves through each room calling out Rachel. It's dead silent. She gets to Rachel and Joe's bedroom, which is the last room at the back of the house. And there she finds Rachel lying in a pool of her own congealed blood. She's face down. She's not breathing. And she's cold to the touch. She cried out and called her daughter. But no one answered. She found Rachel's phone on the floor beside her. But she didn't know how to use it. She just presses buttons and somehow called someone on the phone. It was Rachel's friend. At the same time, another of Rachel's friends that's being called by Joe. So this is a neighbour. Joe's still at the crash. Of course he is. Um, appears. So she appears at the door and she says to her, I think Rachel is dead. I brought her down to the bedroom where Rachel was lying. They walked back out and rang the Garda. At this point, Joe arrived with the youngest child and Rachel's friend with their eldest. Rose met him in the driveway and he smiled at her. And said something had, she said something has happened to Rachel. He ran into the house with Rose behind him. He fell at her on his knees with his head in his hand. And he shouted, Rachel, what did you do? Huh? Another friend who is a nurse arrives. 
and she walks into the room and checks for signs of life but couldn't find any Rachel had been beaten violently and there's blood on the ceiling in the bedroom the room is covered in blood but there's no blood anywhere else in the house so just in the bedroom Detective Pat Murray was called to investigate the guard secured the scene and moved all family members and friends off site Joe went to his family home with their children and this gardener went on to write a book about the murder. Oh. So this is an excerpt from the book. In the kitchen, the table was overturned and the drawers were pulled out. There was a sitting area to one side and there were DVDs thrown across the floor. The cabinets were standing open. I couldn't, I could see why a burglary was, burglary was the first call and why it was the wrong call. No burglar bothers with the kitchen drawers. To my mind, it looked like a non-burglar's idea of a burglary. Mm -hmm. It looked staged and unconvincing. I made my way down to the hallway. At the end, on the left, was a bedroom. And inside that bedroom was a scene of pure savagery. I saw the body of a woman, her head near the saddleboard, and her body was twisted at an awkward angle. Her head, neck, and face were bloodied and badly injured. I could see part of her skull because the wounds were so deep. Behind her, there was a box with blood on it. It seemed somehow odd and out of place. I looked at the blood spatter in the room and it was described as a very violent death. When I first encountered the crime scene, I spent a lot of time just observing and soaking it up. It was like a sort of meditative state where I became still and tried to pick up what I could feel or anything I could intuit about the scene. That made... That may sound unscientific, but I found it an effective way to notice every detail. So I stood with the body of the deceased and I studied every aspect of her death. I tried to sense what had gone on in the room who might have wanted to commit such an incredible, brutal killing. One thing was certain, it didn't look like the work of someone trying to get in and out of the house as quickly as possible. Eventually, I walked back down through the kitchen and to the back door to the fresh air and the normal colours of the world. My super looked at me and interested and said, well, what did you see? I said two things. Number one, it wasn't a burglary. And number two, the killer really hated that lady. Oh, fuck. Superintendent Gallagher nodded his head slowly and said, you're correct. He said, I'd say the victim knew her killer. And like all murders, there has to be a reason. He nodded again. He told me that the dead woman's name was Rachel O'Reilly. And previously was Callanee. He then looked at me and said, go talk to the husband. That evening, I headed out with my two colleagues to talk to Joe O'Reilly about the events of the day. He was at his mother's house in Dunlear County Lout. And when we arrived to set, when we arrived, she let us in and showing us. So she let them in and showed them into the sitting room. We waited for about 18 to 20 minutes. And then Joe came in fresh from the shower. He appeared calm, relaxed and collected. I led the questioning and my first query was obvious. Could he think of any reason why someone wanted to murder Rachel? He said he couldn't. I asked if it was possible that Rachel was having an affair and maybe a disgruntled wife had killed her. He replied, his reply warranted a note in my notebook. No, neither of us were having an affair. Oh, you stupid motherfucker. It seemed odd to include himself into in, in that when I'd asked specifically about Rachel. I asked again about possible grievances and then suddenly dropped in another question about the possibility of an affair, this time suggesting he might be the one who was straying. He denied it again. I felt there was no more to it. I felt there was more to it, but I let it go. 
I asked if he had his mobile phone on him all day and he said that he had. I asked for the number and to my surprise he gave me a different number than the one he'd given me at the house earlier. When I queried this he explained that he thought I wanted Rachel's number. And that's what he'd given me. I felt sure I'd asked very clearly it was his number that I wanted. So this also seemed a bit odd and I noted it in my notebook. I knew he'd been in the house with Rachel's body before our arrival. So I next asked for the shoes he'd been wearing at that time. He left the room to fetch them. He was gone a good while. When he returned, he handed over a pair of black boots. As I took them, I looked him dead in the eye and said, Are you saying you weren't having an affair? He looked straight back at me and said, Look, I did have an affair. I asked who the woman was. He told me Nikki Pelly, a girl I used to work with. I asked Joe the date and time of his last contact with her and he told me it was about midday on the day of the murder. There was no forensic explanation for anyone else being in the house. Okay. Dr. Cassidy said Rachel had died from a prolonged and violent attack. Okay. That she may have laid dying for quite some time on the floor. That she thought... The thought was that Rachel had stumbled upon a gang and they had murdered her, but there was no foreign, foreign DNA in the house whatsoever. Nothing of any value was stolen from the house and the two items that were missing were found in the ditch down the road, about like 200 metres away from the house. Rachel's purse had 400 euro in it, which was still there. There was a tin with over 800 <laughs> excuse me. 800 euro in it it was left untouched and the guard said above the guard said above these thieves don't look uh, as the guard said above thieves don't look in kitchen drawers no not at all the night before Rachel's funeral some friends and family decided to write notes for Rachel and put it in her coffin with her Joe wrote a letter the next day Joe wrote a letter and the next day he put it in her coffin at the funeral people noted how odd Joe was he seemed to be enjoying the attention. His eulogy spoke of forgiveness that Rachel would forgive her killer. <laughs> he spoke about Rachel's goals in life and how she had achieved them. She was 30. Oh she, my God, this guy's a fucking idiot. She hadn't even reached like She's 31. 30. Yeah. He said that Rachel was at peace. He spent the whole day laughing and joking. Oh my God. And saying he didn't know why the Garda were looking in the field for the murder weapon. Surely the killer would have dumped it in the water to get rid of the DNA. And there was a quarry not far from Lambay View. What's wrong with men? I just like... He was like, really like, loving the attention. Fucking sociopath. The guard appealed for anyone in the area to come forward if they had seen anything. No one came forward to say they saw a gang or anything suspicious in and around the house. The guard felt there was no way the killer was able to get out of the room covered in blood and not make a mess. But there was no blood or DNA anywhere other than the their bedroom. Yeah. It seems that the killer had a shower in the room and cleaned himself or themselves. Rachel was lying on her car keys. So when they moved her body, her they car keys car were still under her. So she'd just come home and they think that someone called her name into the bedroom. Joe said he was in work that morning, but his receptionist at work said she didn't see him enter the building until 11am. Good girl. And then by one o'clock, he was gone again to pick up his son. She said he seemed off. She said his eyes were red and his face was puffy, like he'd been crying. Joe went over his movements again in detail. He said he left to go to gym at 5.45am. He said he went to to work for 9.30am and met a colleague. 
Now, Joe has an alibi. Oh. They went to a bus depot in Fibsborough and they carried out an inspection in the depot until 11.30pm. And that is when he headed back to the office. Joe had an alibi called Derek Querney. And a week later, Joe and Rachel's parents... So, like... He his like he said I went to the bus depot in Fibsburg with this guy. He said I was there at nine thirty till eleven thirty. Right. Derek Query works for him. Derek Query says he was he in agreed. the bus depot with him. So the guard are like he has an alibi, and like also they live in like they don't live far. They don't live. Excuse me. Incredibly close to where they are. Right. So incredibly close to like where this bus uh, terminus is in Fibsburg. Yeah. A week later, Joe and Rachel's parents appeared on Lunchtime TV to appeal for any further information. So, against the guard's wishes, he appears on TV on the Late Late Show on the 22nd of October. Yeah. And this is like a really famous scene. Rose is seen to be... No- so, Rose's mother appears with him. Yeah. And there's like a notable like iciness. Like she she's knows. really uncomfortable. She's seen notably uncomfortable and never makes eye contact with Joe. Pat Kenny says to Joe and Rose, most people who are killed know their killers. Yeah. And Joe goes into detail of his own making or understanding what happened to Rachel, saying whoever killed her knew her. He's talkative. He's clearly enjoying the attention. He doesn't appear withdrawn or sad. And the staff at RT note that he ate all the food in the green, green room. Oh. Uh, he decided not to stay in the hotel provided stating he needed to meet a client the next day he didn't he went to Nick, Nikki Pelly's house this young woman was still with him after oh yeah yeah he stated that everyone was suspect, uh, suspect including himself and by the end of the month Crime Call had done a reenactment of the killing and Joe couldn't keep away from the TV and radio and he had stated multiple times he was not having an affair with Nikki Pelly because this was all over the media so Joe was like acting like so odd Joe brings journalists into the house and reenacts the murder for them and they take pictures. What in the name of fuck? Nikki Pelly, so he's he's saying publicly, I'm not having an affair with Nikki Pelly. I wasn't having an affair. But then he brings her to his son's birthday party at the end of October. Jesus, Mary and St. Joseph. Rachel's family and Garda start to take a long, hard look at Joe. Rose had begun to sp- suspect Joe from the day Joe agreed to viciously reenact the murder in detail in the house to what he thought happened. And he said to Rose, she should go and do the same for cathartic reasons. He began saying Rachel had come to him in a dream. So he had like multiple dreams. Um, Rachel come to him in a dream and told him that the murder weapon was a dumbbell in the spare room and that the killer had taken some towels from the house. He went to the garden with this. Oh my God. He went to the guards a number of different times saying Rachel had come to him in, in his sleep and told him very specific details around the murderer. He also attempted to say Rachel's stepbrother may have killed her. Holy shit, Sarah. He invited his friends and family to the home and showed them the blood staining so the house hadn't been cleaned. And said it had given him great peace to be back in the home. He reenacted the killing again for them. He added details about the attack and said, like, so he brought Rachel's family and friends back to the house to, this like, is absolutely fucking and insane. then brought them into the back bedroom, including her mother and father. And was like, this is how she died. And he said, she must have died a ferocious death. The killer went and showered and heard her gargling. 
He then came back into the bedroom and attacked her again and then went back to the shower. <laughs> what the fuck? This is long before any information is released to the family. It's long before any forensics has confirmed the details. And since... So he said that, he said it in confidence to them. And then in March, the following year, they do, you know, that inquest into yeah. the death. And everything he says, He's Dr. Exactly. Mary Cassidy says how she died. She said that she was lying on the floor dying and someone came back and hit her again. That they heard that she was still alive. I'm actually, but I'm absolutely gobsmacked by this. this is Rose is nice. in the room with her daughter's killer and she knew it. She said to her family and that, but that their family just didn't, like Rose's dad was like, oh no, he just, that's, no, he just doesn't know how to act and they just people, of, they convinced themselves he hadn't actually. But Rose is like, he fucking he did, did it. it. And by the time she's on the late, late show with him, that's someone's mad. They're mad, mad no. She is like, he fucking killed my daughter. In November, Joe, Derek and Nikki are arrested and held for question. They're all released and Nikki's dad then goes on Liveline the next day to say his daughter <laughs> is being harassed. Called up Joe. He called Joe he, Duffy. He said, Joe, listen, Joe. Listen. Joe. My talk da- to Joe. My daughter is a fucking saint. Talk to Joe. <laughs> talk to Joe. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. If you haven't listened to Joe Duffy, it's called Liveline. <laughs> and it's honestly... It's the best. Yeah. It's one of the best. <laughs> Just everyone's ringing in and moaning. Um, so he says that uh, his daughter's been harassed and that Joe's an innocent man. He makes the call himself. He isn't invited by Joe. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but in the court of public opinion, uh, Joe is acting odd- oddly. Okay. He has skipped all the grief. He's gone straight into living his life. He's in a relationship with Nikki. He's going to work every day. He's telling people and any journalist that he can get to come into the murder house that they can take pictures and he tells stories and like he reenacts like what he thinks happens. This is insanity. Oh, it's so weird. March 9th. So we're now like, what year? This 2004. March yep. 9th, 2005. Rachel's remains are exhumed during an early morning operation by members of the Guard Technical Bureau. Guard began working at 6.30 a.m. and the grave was reinstated before... Uh, by 8.30am fuck so they're not exhuming for the body okay the latter Miss O'Reilly's parents Jim and Rose Callaly and her husband Joe were informed of the decision to exhume the remains in Bal Griffin Cemetery yesterday morning however none of them were present when the ex- uh, ex- exhumation take place Minister for Justice Michael McDowell signed a ministerial order allowing the Garda to exhume the remains the guarder are not looking to re-examine the body, just the letter. Fuck. The letter Joe dropped into the coffin. The investigation is intensified. By this point, they've taken over 700 statements. There's 900 guarder or something ridiculous working on this Fuck. between like all the different departments. Right. They've analysed cell data for Joe's mobile. Um, it places him in the null at the time of the murder. It doesn't place him in the Fibsborough uh, um, bus terminus. They're looking for CCTV and footage of Joe's unusual car because he's quite an odd car. He's like an estate car. So like there's not many of them. In June 2006. This from March to June. Well, this is like two years. It's taking that long to read a fucking letter. Two years. The file is sent to the DPP to see if prosecution could go ahead of Joe O'Reilly. It would be up to the DPP to decide if they would bring charges against any anyone. Two years and two days to Rachel's death, her mother and sister appear on the Late Late Show again. 
They speak about how much time has passed now and how they want justice for Rachel. And on the 19th of October, 2006, the DPP finally bring charges against Joe for the murder of Rachel. Good. The trial begins in July of 2007. The courtroom is packed and the prosecution opens saying their evidence is all circumstantial. But when it's all put together, it clearly shows that Joe killed his wife and Rachel, he, Joe killed his wife Rachel in their family home. On the very first day of the trial, it appears like the trial may fall over before it starts because it comes to light that the jurors talking about the case outside. Fuck Jesus, Mary. Shut your mouth. And are having discussions with her family and friends about the case. The juror is dismissed and the trial continues on the agreement of the defence and the prosecution. So they both are like, yeah, just dismiss her. We'll get a we'll different keep going. one and yeah. we'll keep going. The first piece of evidence entered was the letter. I did it. Signed you. The <laughs> I'm 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 the worst Uh, I'm a cunt I'm sorry yeah the letter stated he missed her and he knew she would forgive him and that's all this man is so dumb Joe appeared to go red in the face and cry but this was the only time he showed any emotion witnesses took to the stand re-encounting Joe's behaviour after the murder Jokes, he made bizarre jokes around dumbbells and bizarre jokes, uh, bizarre tours of the house. Anybody that wanted to come in, he didn't clean the blood or the house for quite some time. Oh, this is like your one, fucking the Black Widow. Rachel's friends commenting on the state of their marriage and the arguments taking the children. So like that had all come to a head the night before Rachel dies. Right. Uh, Derek got on the stand and he said that he was in the bus terminus with Joe he said that he's not lying that Joe was definitely in the bus terminus that he has no reason to to like co- cover his alibi yeah, yeah, yeah. but he said there was a period of time that they were not together and he had to ring him to see where he was and he said he was out at the back of the terminus but he said he can't remember how much time they were not together for but he said that they were definitely in the terminus together and they definitely left the terminus together however the cell phone data tells a different story and that's why that, that mast is so important. So when um, Derek says he rings um, Joe and Joe says I'm at the back of the terminus. He was in the null. The ping is off the null mast. So he drove He drove to the terminus, was like, I'm going to pretend I'm here and I'm going to be here and then I'll just pop off for like 20 minutes, murder my wife. But that's what we think. But this means that he had like 55 minutes to get back, kill her, have a shower. And get back to And the... get back to the terminus. Because he leave like he, the guy comes out and meets him at the back of the terminus. Now the terminus is big. One side of it is broad, broad stone, I think it's called. And the other side of it is Fibsburg. Right. They're there looking at like essentially inspecting uh, their work. Like so what their staff do. Yeah. They're there to inspect yeah. it. There's also CCTV footage of it's not determined that it's his reg, but it's determined that it's the car, the same colour, the same make, the same model. In Null, around the time that she would have been murdered. And also back onto the M50, and then also back out of the uh, Fibs, back out of Bluebell, where his office was, oh, to sake. back to Null to pick up their son right. when he gets a phone call. Um, this the cell phone data in the morning at, 5.45. So in the morning in particular, he's on the phone 5.45 a.m. to Nikki. He's on Nikki. He's on the phone the night before this murder to Nikki saying that they've had a big fight and that this is it. Like, I'm I, like, I'm it's leaving. over. We're leaving and we're going to be a family, me, you and my two sons. And she was all on board for this. Um, And they talk. Trash. 
And then he's also on the phone to her at 8.45, at 10.45, and then at 11.30. And all of those things happen in the null. In the null. They don't happen where he says he is. But he what like, if it's, if it's pinging off the null, that's where he was. Um, so... Mr. Justice, so the court, the case goes on for three weeks and the, the prosecution case goes, the prosecution's side of the case goes on for much longer than the defense. Okay. So the prosecution call, all of those people I talk about above where they like say that the fights happen, the phone calls happen, they call Paula, they call all the people. Rose takes to the stand and gives like an impact victim. Like she's like clearly, and she like, there's a round of applause when she gives her oh, impact statement. Her. Um, and she's really dignified, uh, but she's essentially like, you killed my daughter and I know you did. Um, and then all of the like information around him saying that like she was gargling and then I- That shit is like, yeah. Um, all of that is given. Um, and that goes on for like three weeks. And then the very last like two days of the trial are his defense. And they just call like, they call, um, Derek Gurney, who said, who says, like, he I, was there. I was there, yeah. Um, they call one other person that says that I seen him outside a bus terminus in Phibsburg, but that that guy can't confirm what day it was. Oh, for fuck's he sake. He can't confirm what he was so wearing. So they have nothing. But he can confirm that he definitely seen him outside of a, uh, depot in Phibsburg. And At he some also point said that it during was, the year. Yeah, he also said it was raining, but the day that she's killed, it didn't rain and it was like a crisp winter day. Um, and then they say that all of the evidence is circumstantial. That like the they have no hard evidence that says that he was there, that he is an alibi that puts him in the bus terminus and that uh, cell phone data can be wrong and, and that the wrong? mass information can be incorrect and they that's kind of it. That's all they have. But during this time, somehow the book of evidence is given to the juror juror like the jurors yeah the railroad juror um and it then somehow is found out that they have it it's not supposed to obviously yeah because there's tons of stuff in the book of evidence that they never get to hear yeah, so yeah, there was yeah. a whole there was um um messages played during the trial that he had left on her cell phone um one of them is the day that she goes missing and okay. he says Rachel, I'm really worried. I've called everybody. I don't know where you are. This isn't funny anymore. Call me back. I'm really worried there's something wrong. And then there's another message left on her phone a couple of weeks after she's killed from him. Saying what? And it's just kind of bumbling and it, he says he's sorry and it's like he's drunk. like. But he's like, I'm sorry and I really miss you. But he basically saying sorry for yeah. what he did. But they weren't entered into the, so the they the, weren't put into the yeah. The judge was like, okay. oh, no, you can't enter that, and the juror can't hear. Juror can't hear. But they heard it. Also, he had an affair previous to Nikki. Oh shit! Um, and that was entered by the uh, def- by the prosecution, and the judge was like, it was so long ago, it, it doesn't kind of, call to yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, we're like two days now of like this is about to be over. And now the entire case looks like it's going to be thrown out. Fuck. So, the defence and the prosecution get together with Justice Barry White. Yeah. And Barry White. Barry White. <laughs> Head of shite. Um, and they agree because the, def- um, the, heard the judge says, did any of you read this book? Did any of you read these documents? And all of the jury say, no, we didn't. 
we oh, didn't well, know we, we had didn't to. know we had it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't know we had it. Like, no, we didn't. So then the defense and the prosecution agree that the, uh, it can go ahead. Wow. And that this jury can make a decision. Holy shit. So. That's quite shocking. Yeah, because like, if I was the defense. You think they'd just be like, we're throwing this pro- out. Yeah, I would have been like, well, oh, no. Yeah. Um. So. The jury for the vet. So three weeks after the case, all this happens and they're like, okay. The jury takes three days to reach a verdict. They have to. So at some point, and I, the alibi does throw me. Yeah. Because 55 minutes to get from where he was to their house in the Nall to do what he did, to have a shower, to get rid of the weapon. Now, there's something I know about the car that's because someone told me that knows him. Oh, okay. But it's never been anything, and I don't know if it's true, so it's complete conjecture. But apparently, when he got back to Bluebell, he cleaned his car out. He cleaned the boot out with like a power washer. Wouldn't surprise me. Um, Plus, also, if you think about it, right, these two guys were like doing their job and doing their work. He could have been gone for a full hour without your man even realizing. Yeah. It. And the way he killed her was violent and fast. Yeah. Like, it was like, you are dead. So, like, he literally could have just got in, called her name, killed her, jumped in the shower, came and left. Yeah. It, it's not unheard of, like. Oh, also, the mast picks him up at a couple of different points. So, the mast picks him up at the quarry as well. Yeah, where he threw the weapon. Yeah. When he so, told everyone. And also, he had a conversation. So, one of the things that was entered into, like, um by a witness statement was his brother-in-law they used to walk up around the quarry and they had a he said this like conversation really struck me he said I was talking about the quarry and the fact that I had CCTV and um Joe was like really like taken back taken back by this and was like why did they have CCTV like that's an infringement on our rights no it's not it's somebody's business and the guy was like oh well I thought you would have felt better about it because the kids would be up there with me and feel safer and we walk up there and he was like it just kind of stuck with me because it was a real odd reaction because yeah. it's like so the mass picks him up at the quarry as well right so all of this is entered into evidence the jury go off they need three days and then after three days they come back with a verdict of guilty of murder yeah 100% he immediately gets sentenced to life in prison the court erupts with like a cry of relief brother, brother, brother. Joe shows no emotion Joe's family still stand by him to of this day because they're fucking idiots he killed his wife there's a reason what? Joe's family stand by him what did he do what did they do Joe's uncle was previously convicted wrongfully of murder. Fuck off. No. Holy shit, are you serious? And so Joe's mother in particular is like, this is another, like the same thing, like my son didn't do this. You know, he did, okay, first of yeah. all, he did. Yeah. He absolutely did it. There now, is no doubt in my mind he did this. Joe's gone back a number of times. So he's had like three uh, requests to like, what's it, what's it called? Uh, for um, basically trying to get released. Yeah, to yeah. try have a new trial. Right. Uh, Nikki has stood by him the entire time. She's still <laughs> with him. She still visits him in Arbor Hill. <laughs> Good woman, she Nikki. She still sends him letters. Of course she does. Um, his two children... She's as dumb as he is. Yeah, so, his yeah. two children are now in the custody and are um, adopted by Rose, Rose's, by Rachel's parents. Um, and... He went back and said, like, listen, I, you know, I was convicted unfairly. And, no, blah, blah, blah. and he brought back the fact that the book of evidence was handed to the juror, jury. And um, the judge was like, well, you agreed at the time. Yeah, you can't just go back on this now. Because, so, because it didn't go your way. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, yeah. you obviously were so confident in that courtroom. A sociopath. Yeah. 
that you thought you were going to get away with it. That's so sad. Um, so, Joe Riley, whose appeal against his life sentence for the murder of his wife was lodged on Thursday, is obsessed with a case involving his uncle in the murder of a woman found strangled and stabbed to death at her home in Dublin over 30 years ago. Okay. After plumbing, after plumbing his wife, so this is all like about his wife. Um, yeah, so Christy Lynch was arrested for the mor- murder of Nora Cooney at Sandy Mount in Dublin in September of 1976. There was no reference and evidence to this in O'Reilly's trial, but he's essentially saying that like the same thing is happening to me and you have it in for my family. No, they don't. It happened in 1976, you fucking sap. It's yeah. nothing to do with your uncle. Lynch, now 57, believed to be living in England, was tried twice and convicted both times oh, by fuck. a juror for murdering Nora Cooney, but was released following a successful appeal to the Supreme Court in 1980. The Supreme Court found that Lynch, a soldier, had been subjected to oppressive questioning by Garda over a 22-hour period, which he made an alleged confession. Okay. According to Garda's sources, Joe O'Reilly is obsessed by the case involving his uncle, and so is his mother. Um, and was only six when Lynch was charged with murder, uh, murdering Nora Cooney, a single woman who was living in a rented flat at 77 Strand Road. But he was aware of it from an early age and Garda believed that the murder and subsequent trials may have become an obsession during his formative years which may yeah at the time Christy Lynch a gunner at the second field artillery regiment based in McKee Barracks also worked as a handyman and had been hired to carry out repairs at the house I've got to do this do this case because it looks so interesting Lynch had been working on an on and off of the house for a number of weeks before the murder of Nora Cooney, who lived on her own and had worked at Dublin Gas Company for 28 years. During the t- trial, it was alleged that Lynch had gambling debts that had that he had broken into Miss Cooney's apartment with the intention of robbing, robbing her. her. When she surprised him, he strangled and then stabbed her in the chest with a kitchen knife. Fuck. State pathologist Dr. Don, Dr. John Hardison gave evidence that the knife had been plunged so deeply into her chest that he that she had to be straddled uh, to drag the knife out uh, yeah to get the knife out fuck in his defence defence Lynch claimed that one day he had been in the house alone between 1pm and 2pm and had left without seeing Miss Cooney he said he spent part of the day walking around Dublin not far from his home in Rialto where he lived with his wife and young daughter he admitted that he had a gambling problem and that this was worrying him. Cash, cash was found in Miss Mooney's apartment after the murder and there was no evidence of robbery. So it does looks like someone murdered her. Yeah. Lynch said that on the evening of the murder of the murder he approached he approached a man he knew from Rialto to come with him to Strand Road the next day, which was Sunday, to help him with a ladder. And that this was uh, and that was, this is when he and the young man found the body. So he found the body. He and found the body the, and ran the guards. Lynch was arrested later that day and held for questioning. He said in evidence that during questioning he was subjected to threats of violence and intimidation. That he was told that if he didn't make a confession, he would never see his wife and child again. At his first five-day trial, five days. Fuck. In May 1977, the jury, the jury rege- re- rejected his evidence and found him guilty uh, the case was referred for retrial by the court of appeal and the second trial which lasted ter- 13 days Lynch was again convicted Jesus however this appeal was sent to the Supreme Court which quashed the conviction in December 1980 
So he got out. Yeah, but no one's ever been arrested for her murder. But also he wasn't going around uh, telling people how she might have died. And no. And giving him guided tours of the bloody room. No. And uh, leaving a note in her coffin saying, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Like, so he thinks that somehow because of this case... That man 110% killed his wife. Yes. I don't, there isn't even a single, like even that thing about the the alibi or whatever, that's easily thick, like looked at and gone, right, this is how he did it. Yeah. An absolute fucking sociopath. Yeah. And then, um, so uh, Nikki is on his last appeal, which is like his last one, he can't do it can't again. Can't do it again, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, she's no longer with him. Oh, she get a cop on. Well, she still she goes to Arbor Hill to visit him. Does she? Which is where he is. Class act. Anyway, fuck that guy. He absolutely killed his wife. Like I remember that late late show. I remember that late late show, and, and everybody was like, my he mom was like, wife. my mom was like, he absolutely killed her. Like, it's just it's so textbook. <laughs> How many murders do you hear of of like husbands doing stuff like that, and then like injecting themselves, putting into. themselves into it, and being yeah. like, come in, I'll show you how I think. She gargled, and then he came back in and hit her again. What? Yeah. Why would you say? But like the absolute confidence in which they do this and not think in the back of their heads, oh, this looks bad. Yeah. Maybe I should stop saying this. No part, because it's this arrogance and this like ego that they have. That poor girl's 30 years old. 30 years old. Her children were three and five. Two children. Yep. They both have no mother or father now. Um, And the fact that like, listen, I understand everybody's mother wants Irish mammies. Uh, the Irish mammy could have been in the room when he was doing it and she probably would have been like my son yeah um, but I was actually watching a thing the other day on, on Netflix it was one of those documentaries on Netflix one of those episodes of a documentary and there was a woman on and her son had murdered and she was like I know my son did this she was like I'm not going to sit here she was like I absolutely know my son did this she was like I still love him but he's a murderer so she was able to be like I know he did this mm. he's, I'm still going to love him because he's my son and I can't fi- I can't remove that from how I feel but yeah he absolutely killed her I think just to be like oh this happened to my brother and I get that like that's oh, incredibly awful. stressful it's but horrible. like that's not what happened to your no. son and your brother he wrote a letter that said I'm sorry please like I'm sorry please forgive me and then fucking shat his pants when he yeah. decided to dig up the grave and then like freaked out when he heard that there was cameras at the quarry and then said something along the lines of well wouldn't you just throw it in the river at the quarry because that's absolutely what he did yeah and then like there's too much he shot himself like he he did this to him he absolutely did this to himself I think if he had a kept his mouth shut he would have got if away with it up, but that goes to show you the arrogance of this dude like to think I can murder my wife go off with this young one with my two kids mm-hmm. and live this amazing life that I want to live with my skinny girlfriend um, and say all by the way these... she was beautiful oh was she oh gorgeous stunning not that that makes any no, relevance but like to like the fact her, that he was but the fact that he like he, he was, was like so demeaning like he was, her um, psychologically breaking her well, of down of course he was like part of the reason why he got away with so much for so long is because she was like she just stopped going to family events because it was just easier it was easier and she was like saying to her friend Paula on the phone and saying to like her sister and her um her mum she was saying I'm so fat and I haven't been able to lose the baby weight and oh, like feeling like really depressed about herself and it was because that's a him. her husband was like you're fat and ugly and I do like was saying to her I don't want to have sex with you like was sending emails to so the other thing that happened um, was that all of the Nikki and him worked together in this company right 
And this company wants nothing to do with them then. So like they then merged with another company very soon after and tried to make him redundant and said, if you want to keep your job, you have to apply for it again. Oh, Jesus. Um, and all because they were sending emails on company oh. property, all of the emails were handed over to the guards. Fuck. Um, and that's how their relationship began. They met at a work night out in the barge. Um, in Dublin and then it became like this thing where they would like email each other and then it became like a thing where they were texting each other question yeah why didn't he just leave her why didn't he just leave his wife he didn't want to he didn't want to lose his kids apparently horseshit he wanted to get rid of her yeah so he didn't have to deal with divorce and money the house money issues with all that stuff the fact that she'd still be around when he wants to go off and ride this young one so he thought I'm going to murder her get her out of the way and then I could just have this perfect like it's like that guy the, the that American murdered the guy oh who God. killed his two kids and his wife That's like, he was the exact same he was seeing this girl and he was like instead of leaving my wife instead of just leaving her and I have to deal with all the like paperwork I'm going to kill her and my two children so yeah. I can go be with this young one who does yoga what's wrong with men it's like like I just, it's just like, her poor family Sarah. her poor family her bro- so he tried to state that her her step her half brother yeah there was blood found in the um utility room of the house that belonged to her um step brother her, her, her half brother yeah um and that was like so that was the only foreign dna that was found and then joe riley was like well he clearly did that and they had a real weird relationship and he was always in my house and like they didn't really know they were brother and sister and like, yeah. Was he like, trying to insinuate Yeah, he was incest. trying to insinuate incest and that, like, he killed her. Um, and like, he had to get up and like, stand in, on trial. Like, he had to go up in court like, and be like, oh, I didn't do yeah, it. Yeah, I didn't do it. And also I was at home in bed on 12 o'clock the day my sister was killed. And the blood is from the time I was out their back garden building it, building decking because I'm a carpenter and I cut my hand and I got, she came she in and put, like, like, wrapped it up wrapped in up the like- utility room. I just think it's bizarre that he ju- if he had just shut his fucking mouth because the guardian clearly didn't have anything because it took no him the guardian didn't have anything for yeah. a really really long time but if he had just shut the fuck up and because he had an alibi they never ever thought to look at the phone uh, the phone mask no never the ever le- the letter is the funniest part not funny but like the most ridiculous thing where you're like if you were le- if you murdered someone you were leaving a letter you just say I miss you I will miss our kids will miss you I love you not please forgive me because obviously there was some guilt in him. Like there was some guilt in him because I don't think you'd write a letter like that and put it into a coffin if you weren't feeling some sort of no. remorse for what you did. Yeah, I don't. You think know what s- I mean? Yeah, no, no, I think so too. But like to get up and like essentially say to people in a fucking church full of people, she got she she, she, she listen. She got all the things she wanted to do with her. Yeah, she achieved everything she wanted to do at thirty years of age. You have two children with this woman. With, a children that she never got to see be teenagers children that she never got to see to achieve anything like what like and even that like I even at that point because like at that point none of her family thought that he was a killer yeah 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 yeah. but friends said that he was people who didn't really know him were like oh god he's acting so odd like so Something's odd. off. Like he's just mm, like he's he was la- he laughed and joked the whole day of the funeral. Yeah, because he didn't care, um, and because it was the attention that he loved. Yeah. It was like oh, everybody. It's like the Black Widow. The same thing. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna leave the blood there so you can go and have a look at it. Yeah. What is wrong with you people? Um, 
Like so, like I like at that point, like at that point, they were like, cause there had been a spate of robber, a spat of robberies in the Nall. Yeah, and they were like, oh, she must have just stumbled upon. But they didn't take anything. No, they did nothing. nothing. They took, and it's that as that guard said, it's that typical. Oh, pretend burglary. Yeah, pull all the drawers out. Yeah, ah, like no, but like no, that's not. He pulled all the drawers out, then took two things and fucked them in the ditch when he was leaving. Yeah. Has your house ever been broken into? No. Other than that time in... My my, my home house or yeah. my my mum's my house? No, yeah. never, never. Never? <gasps> never, never, never. Um, yeah, it's... I just... I feel so... This is such... This is like an epidemic, this... With men murdering their wives. Like, yeah. the stories that you hear and then the way they try to cover it up and it's like, it's so obvious that you did this. Like, it's so blatantly obvious that you pulled this off. And what's the first thing they do after they do it? The guards went to his mother's house where he was. Yeah. Straight to Mammy. Hiding. Straight to Mammy hiding in, in her in her little house yeah. there now. Oh, Mammy will love me. Mammy will forgive me. Fuck you and fuck your mat. There's yeah. that. That's what, but that's like what all men do when they've done something wrong. Run home to Mammy. Let's go to Mammy. I went to my mash beach, shy me. She'd be like, get the fuck out. She's like, what the fuck are you here for? Yeah. What you do? If I went to my mom's like, house now, she'd be like, what have you done? There needs to be a conversation had about, especially raising men and refusing to teach them that they cannot get away with things. I have a theory around this. Do you want to hear my theory? Tell me your theory. It's a bit like out there. Go. No, I want to hear. Is so, this going to be a Freudian type theory now? It's type of, it's yeah. kind of right. But I think, right, so as a girl, right, you kind of go through this like ritual of like becoming a woman. Yes, I agree. And you do this thing where like at the age of like 12 or 13 or like even people who are like trans, um, you have to go through all of this pain yeah. to transition be, into another, yeah, another and you part also of your life. Have to be like responsible for it. Yes. So like when you when you like and it's not that like your period's like incredibly painful. No, but it, but is. it is. But it's this thing of like, oh suddenly I have to like be responsible you're for bleeding this. Bleeding from your fucking body. Like. I have to and also like there's a whole thing where you're like, don't tell anybody better. Yes. And like be Shame. clean Shame. and keep it to yourself yeah. and all the rest, right? And all of a sudden you're like like I've got responsibility. It's an independence. That it you is have an to independence, gain, and it's gained quickly and without kind of, kind of, kind of any sort of um, like real warning about no, what's or like happen. somebody explaining it to you fully. Yeah, it's and very like, internal. What I th- and this is now this is out here. No, go. I love I love these series, but men or boys don't have that. No, they don't. And there's no moment in their life, no, where their family or something happens to them where their family or mother goes. Right, well, you have to just get on with that. Now you're going to bleed once a month, and you just have to get on with this. And your yeah. breasts are going to develop. Yeah, and your hips but also, are going to develop. Your breasts are going to develop, and your hips are going to develop. And also, the opposite sex is going to become really interested. Yeah, yeah. and you need to be really responsible yeah. for how they feel about you. You have to be responsible for what they potentially could do to yeah. your body. And men don't experience it. There's there. none of that. And so back in like. Now, like, don't get me wrong, murder and fucking in and no, rape, but I, all I has know been what you mean. For of years course, and years of course, and years. Of Back in the day, like before we had society, there was like a moment in a man's life where like they had to just get the fuck on with things. And there was a bit of like, get out of my fucking house, go and marry that girl and raise those kids. And don't come back here. And You're done now. I've done my part. Move along. Yeah, you're done now. Like you've made your bed, you may go and lie it. Now there's like this prolonged adolescence. Oh, it never ends. It never like, ends. And it's why, like, even particularly with Joe, that 
guard who wrote the that detective that wrote the book about him made, I didn't talk about it because it was like a really weird it was a weird commentary but I kind of understood where he was going he was talking about the fact that he was like still quite teenager in his like um hobbies so like his he loved Star Wars right and there's nothing wrong no, with loving Star Wars no there's absolutely nothing but he dressed up what do you mean so like quite often his kids would say he was in like a Darth Vader costume and the guard was kind of saying no, the guard was like making some other like weird connection between like no, Darth Vader but, being like a fucking it monster it's, a, it's an immaturity but to me I was like oh no like he just doesn't he has he doesn't know how to deal with responsibility he doesn't, he doesn't want he doesn't want a wife yeah. he doesn't want he wants his kids but he doesn't want to have like no he's one of these even mother- with the house thing yeah where he was like I'm too you busy just go. you just he's go one, he's one of these motherfuckers that say I'm babysitting my yeah. own children yeah and I like it's your 30th I'm, I have a softball sorry I have to go play ball a softball trip in Florida and then I'm going to book your uh, birthday dinner but then I'm going to cancel that yeah no but sir you're absolutely right I completely agree with everything you just said there because I think women women have an independent that is so separate from what men have yeah we we do, like I see with connections mothers and daughters are very very close but there comes a point because a mother has gone through this where it's like right you're your own person now you have to go do this you have to go you have to just make your own decisions and your own choices whereas I think a lot of the time with men it's mammy going yeah do that but if anything happens now you can come, yeah, come home. back yeah you come home to me yeah and it's okay you're lovely the way you are and it's absolutely fine that you're playing video games at three o'clock in the morning and you're out feeding your own children yeah. that's totally fine yeah and it is and I don't know if it's because I always say Irish mammies I always say Irish mammies because honest to god like Irish mammies and their sons yeah there I needs think... to be a massive conversation held about that because like the shit that goes on and the shit that they get away with yeah because they run like the amount of murders that we've done where literally there's been one part in the story where they go the guards went to his mother's house yeah Um, it's that thing it's like this it's... prolonged adolescence yeah. like it's this thing of like and I think it's one of the reasons why like in particular like marriages end up breaking down because it's like women are like I have to, we have to do this like we have kids we have a house yeah. like we have to make decisions we have to do things and men are like well if we break up I'll go to mammy's yeah and she'll make me my favourite meal from when I was five and I can live in the front bedroom and then I can go upstairs and play my games yeah and then I'll go to work in the morning like an adult with a tie and then I'll come home and my mammy will make me food and I'll play my games yeah. when you're 42 yeah and she'll change the bed sheets she'll change the bed sheets and she'll say oh that's his favourite dessert he loves that yes fuck off <laughs> Fuck off. Like, it actually makes me angry because yeah. I just, I can't. Do you know what, One of the few things that happened in my life that were, like, the right thing or was, like, the right, like, guidance I had is my grandmother, my dad's mother. Oh, Jesus. Staunch. A staunch woman. She would, like, my mom and dad would break up quite a bit. They're one of those couples. Yeah. Would break up, like, quite a bit. And my dad always had to stay in our house. Like, he was, there was nowhere for him to go. Because my. She's like, you made your fucking bed. Oh, my mum used to say, my grandmother used to say, you made your bed. Yeah. You decided to marry that woman. You have to make this work. You have to make this work. And then she used to always hit my mum's side as well. She used to be like, you're a cunt. But but that is the thing. It's like, when you make a decision to do something, listen, marriages break up and shit happens. And women do terrible things as well. That's not what I'm saying. But there does, like, if something happened to me in the morning, there's no point in the back of my head where I'm going, I'll just go home to my mum's. Never, ever. That is not in my thought process. No. It does not exist. Every man I've Every ever met. Every man I have ever encountered. Other than my dad, because when he tried to do all my <laughs> she mom was like, would be like, get your house up. Every man I have ever met in my life, they're, the first thing they think is, if something happens, yeah. I'll go home to my mommy. Yeah. 
You're a fucking disgrace. The whole lot is. The whole lot is. Get your period and shut your mouth. That's what they need to do. They need to bleed once a month for I, their dick. I, I could be wrong with the ritual thing, but no, I just think... No, like, I absolutely agree. I think and I don't believe... Perfect like, sense. I, I, oh, what do they go through? Oh, I, I had a wet dream. Yeah. Oh, did you? Yeah. Mammy will wash your sheets for you. It's fine. I, I get an erection on the I bus. I got an erection on the bus. <laughs> What's that about? I don't know. One time, Someone told me they get an erection the wind on changed, One time the wind changed and I got an erection. Yeah. <laughs> Like that's literally not being bad. Like, listen, I know, I know, boys go through a lot as well. I know that, but there, you're right with what you said. There is that kind of thing where we change in a way that they don't change. Ah, yeah, but like back in the day, and this was like just something on TV today as well. That like they were saying this back in the day. No, I mean back in the day, like Celtic warrior yeah. times. Men were put through like torture into the wilderness there and yeah. see if you last kill a wolf and yeah like literally <laughs> <laughs> um, in the, in Greeks no yeah Greek they used to send you used to send baby boys out to fight the wolves <laughs> um, but yeah I know it is it's it's. I don't know I know there's men listening to this going I won't go home to my mummy no and I'm sure and then I guarantee you no I she'll not. call you tomorrow and you'll be like Will you make me a chips and burger? And I, I and do burger? think there are definitely there are definitely no, there men are, out there, there are, but there, there are, are few and far between. There is a connection between and, that, and it's not a good connection. No, it's not. It's not um, healthy. Like it's, it's just, really unhealthy. And like you find unhealthy. that a lot of men that have those relationships are in codependent relationships Absolutely. with their wives. Like, and then what happens horribly. is that builds into a place where you're like, this isn't sustainable. No. You're not marrying your mother. No. You're marrying your wife. Happy Christmas. Colin's gonna get mad at me because I did that. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of yeah. Murder Most Sarah, Irish. you did an excellent job. Did I do a good job? An excellent job. I thoroughly enjoyed that. And I love listening to stories that I don't know details about. Because then you tell me stuff and I'm like, <gasps> oh, one I'm... time someone on Reddit got mad because they said that they thought our gasps were fake. <gasps> really? Their gasps aren't real. I just want to tell you, shoot up my arse 25, <laughs> that my gasps are very real. Do we gasp? Yeah, I always gasp. Whenever you tell me something, I go, I go, what? <laughs> and they were like, her gasps weren't real. Go jerk off to your fucking anime and leave me alone. Um, is it anime or anime? Anime is there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I really want to call the episode as an anime or anime now. <laughs>